guys, welcome to uh, episode, I believe it's 13 now, of League One Fun. Uh, we just want to shout out real quick our uh, sponsors, uh, be sure to check out scarves.com for all your scarving needs for MLS, USL, uh, US soccer. Uh, be sure to check them out, even custom scarves. And we just want to thank real quick Beautiful Game Network for hosting us. But with that out of the way, we have a whole gang here tonight to recap week two and some uh, big news announced today. Ira, how's it going? It's going great, Mark. I uh, spent a lot of time taking copious amounts of notes. Uh, so, you know, I hope we, I can't wait to get into these games with you guys. Well, that's good because I took absolutely no notes watching. <laughs> so, I'm glad we, we average out. Uh, we also have Jason. Jason, how's it going? Better now that that Chattanooga pollen was trying to bring your boy down. I don't know how. Listen, like I deal with pollen every year, and I, I thought I was used to it getting the worst of the worst in Georgia. Ch- I, nothing on Chattanooga. That was I was struggling, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. But shout out to Chattanooga, great city. Uh, I definitely have fun and definitely be going back for sure. And last but not least, Chris, how's it going? Doing well. Just hoping to not get a red card on this week's podcast. Actually, I don't like that. I don't like that tone. Let's start Chris with a yellow right now. Set the the standard, set the tone from the beginning. No warning at all. All right, guys. So before we recap the games, uh, as I mentioned, some big news. We have our first matchups for U.S. Open Cup uh, for these League One teams. Uh, They were announced this morning, this afternoon, depending on where you were. Uh, I'll run down the matchups real quick, and then we can discuss them. Uh, first, we have Chattanooga Red Wolves. Will I believe they're traveling to South Georgia Tormenta Two, mm-hmm. SL League Two. Uh, we have Lansing Ignite will host Ann Arbor AFD of NPSL. Forward Madison will play the Milwaukee Bavarians, who are the Adult Cup champions. I believe we got that right. Uh, South Georgia Tormenta One, not the two team, the one, the first team. Uh, we'll play Greenville Triumph in the only League Boo. One versus One matchup. Don't be scared. <laughs> and then last but not least, Richmond Kickers uh, will play Virginia United. Uh, so, guys, first thoughts. Uh, yeah, I think one of, the thing, one of the things we have to realize is, you know, a lot of these teams in the NPSL and in uh, USL League Two, they haven't even been rostered yet because nearly everyone on those rosters is uh, are college kids, right? So these college kids, um, you know, they, they're they're not uh, they're not out of school yet. So th- these games happen like right at the very beginning of their season. Most of them might not even have played a competitive match before these games. So it's like impossible to know. So we complain about CCL. But like, if you're if you're like you know South Georgia Tormenta too, um, you know they might have three players now or four players that they know are going to be on the team. So it'll be really, uh, you know, really an uphill battle for them to play you know a, a Chattanooga side that's you know going to have six or seven games under their belt by then. It's obvious to me that U.S. Soccer is colluding with USL League <laughs> One to make Tormenta and Greenville the premier rivalry of the league. We're going to be playing five times now this year. It's ridiculous. So, Chris, would you would you have preferred Tormenta too? I mean, yes. <laughs> I I mean, here's the deal. Like, I, I get it. It's it's a it's going to be a more premier matchup i think i think you're gonna get more eyes on it 
probably going to be easier to sell those tickets. But at the same time, like there is an advantage to having a first round game against a team that, like you say, doesn't know who their roster is going to be at this point. And yet, you know, these two teams will be, these are the only two pro teams playing each other in the first round. So it's, it's not just Greenville. I mean, Tormenta has got to feel the same way. It's, it's, it's disadvantageous to each of those teams to be playing each other. I don't know if you're scared, go to church. I, I, I think if, if this is the first ever U.S. Open Cup game and you get to play who you hope out and supposedly will be your rival, I'd be excited for that. Obviously, it's a lot harder than everyone else in that round. But yeah, like that gives you the idea to stick your chest out. And so if you do go on a run, be like, yeah, we didn't have to beat up on a UPSL team or anything like that. We just got to go straight into it. Give me the UPSL teams. <laughs> Give me the all team. of them every round all the way to the end. <laughs> but I think I think we all know the team uh within USL League One that should be most kind of not fearful, but has the most on the line, right? What do you guys think? Because I, I, I know the name. I, I, I think I know the name you're thinking of. You can't you can't lose to the Tormenta or Tumenta uh Red Wolves. You can't you can't do it. There's just you can't be the first USL league one team to lose to a USL League 2 team. You can't do it. Um, it'd be, that's the one I'm excited for. And also, Red Wolves being the most veteran team in the league, you guys can't you can't sit there and lose to a team, like you said, that probably still hasn't even rostered yet, right? Like a, a group of college kids or a group of academy kids who have yet to play. So um, if, does, if that does happen, then don't you think then that USL cup between the championship league one, league two is coming sooner than, than later. If, if that happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously like then that shows, but also this is supposed to be like, like when you look at Chad, the new, when you look at red wolves, roster that is a win it now roster that's not a oh we're this is our first year let's try some things out or we're going to develop some kids now nah, that's a we're going to come in this league and we're going to do damage so you can't you can't do that it's too much pressure um i don't think they will but i think you know i think that they they'll probably win handedly but you can't do it. That's the I, Chris. I know you're you're a little hesitant about your team, and you don't think it's fair. They're the ones who should really be like, all right, guys. Like, I don't. If I need to rest a player in League One regular season before this U.S. Open Cup game, guess what? That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not. I think that this game. that probably is the advantage to for Greenville and Toronto playing each other is that whichever team loses, you don't have the embarrassment of potentially losing to a team that you don't have any business losing to like whichever team comes out of that without winning. Yeah. It's a bummer. You go out in the first round of your first ever open cup, but at the same time, at least you go out to a team that's on your level. If you're one of these other teams and you get beat, hold the door. Cause it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a rough go for you that week. Even if it goes, to, even if it goes to extra time too, right? Like even if it's like a one, one or something like that, because one team gets, you know, lucky goal, it winds up being, you know, a little bit embarrassing. Like if, you know, ignite or, or forward Madison end up, 
you know, going at, going 120 minutes. And and that's a problem, too, for the league because they all have games on the weekend after this round, um, or most of them do. I haven't checked the entire schedule. But um, so, so how much roster rotation can you really do? Because clearly you want to at least advance in the U.S. Open Cup first round. You don't want to be embarrassed by losing to a lower division team. So that means on the weekend um, you'll probably wind up rotating most of your – or not most of your roster, but a, a number of players. Yeah, unless, you're, unless you're Greenville and you don't have any – you don't have any subs because you've only got 18 <laughs> people on the roster and three goalies. Mm. So, so mentioning the schedule, I will say I, I have the schedule, the League One schedule pulled up. I don't know if Tormenta meant this or not, but Tormenta plays a League One game on April 27th and does not have another game until May 12th. So the game, what, what uh, a light the, schedule! <laughs> these first round games are on the seventh and eighth, and Tormenta has a whole week off before that matchup with Greenville. So. Uh, I wonder Rigged. if that was part of their deal about having to play three games in the first eight days of the league, though, right? That's, Maybe that's it's just like it. we come out the gates, but then we get a break for U.S. Open Cup. I'm sure it is because, you know, teams like, uh, I mean, different division, but in the championship, Phoenix Rising has their buys based on international FIFA breaks. So I'm sure teams take and give uh, to be able to get those favorable spots. But let's not also, let's not diminish, you know, the, the teams of Bavarians and because that's UPSL champion, right? So this is not just a standard middle table UPSL team or MPSL team. These are these are good teams and from good systems. Ann Arbor has a great system. And also one of the advantages that these teams have is there's not a lot of tape that's just accessibly around for Ford and Lansing to kind of look after, right? So if they can just for one game kind of strategize and have a game plan to try, try to catch a team off guard or just try to catch a team not really prepared for them and they can get an early goal and then park the bus or do whatever they need to do possession-wise to keep the game going and try to get a win, you know, that's something that we've seen in U.S. Open Cup before, right? Like we've seen bar teams make it to you know almost the quarterfinals so this is not you know this is not in the bag for all usl league one teams this is something that uh you know that's the that's the magic of the cup as they say this is this is why we play so i i post this question in the chat but i want to get your guys's response real quick if you had to pick one team that will lose in this first who, who, who would you go with because odds are most of them will win so we got you got to pick the upset all right, y'all. I guess I'm going first. Are, uh, we out, are we staying outside of the Greenville Tormenta game? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's got to. I mean, one of one of them probably you know, has to lose, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the obvious answer, but I think outside of that, I you know what? I, let's let's throw a little spice on the fire. Let's say Lansing. Let's say Lansing gets mm. beat there by Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Ira, what do you got? Yeah, I I think. I think I'm going to go with with forward Madison and not that I know any of these teams and and obviously you know like I said they're not rostered yet but at least the amateur champions they've been together longer right they they're a, a annually rostered team as opposed to uh, the NPSL or or USL League 2 teams that are mostly college players and and you know have huge roster turnover year to year yeah that that was going to be mine too for that exact reason and also even though style is probably going to change. We've only seen Ford with one game. They're very possession based. And I feel like in tournaments, if you have counter attacking teams play a possession based teams, that's how the dynamo did so well last year in open cup. That's how they did well this year in CONCACAF champions league, even playing, you know, in Mexico, playing in Guatemala, 
they weren't worried about possession. They, they got their chances. They went on the counter and they scored. And that's all it takes sometimes in elimination tournaments. So that'd be the the thing that I'd be worried about for possession teams. And when we watch forward with Chattanooga, which we'll talk about a little later, they were very possession oriented and wanted to keep the ball. So that's something to where even if you're giving the team 30% of the ball, that doesn't necessarily prove that you're going to have the advantage. It just depends on if you're finishing your chances or if the other team's countering well. Someone in the uh, YouTube chat said that they're worried about the uh, kickers open cup odds. So is it, I'm, I'm not sure why. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, who knows, right? Like I said, it, it's any any counter, any day for any team. But I think, I think Richmond has too much experience, and those guys have played in those types of games to fall. Yeah, last year was the slip up year, but um, I think that this year, because of that, and this year because it's a new team, and they're so based around possession and cohesiveness that I don't. I think they'll be okay. I, I think it would take a lot if they're able to come back from that Lansing press and they're able to deal with that kind of attack. Then they should be fine against a team from a Spanish amateur league. I believe that's where they're from. So. All right. And like I said, these games happen uh, May 7th and 8th. So plenty of time to talk about them, to uh, rule over them. Uh, but let's get into some recaps, guys. Uh, first up, this game was happening while we recorded last week. Uh, so you got to keep it spoiler free. Uh, but in the end, South, Torment- South Georgia Tormenta 3, SC Tucson 1. The goal is coming all in the second half. We had uh, Den Vega. For SC Tucson in the 55th, Lucas Coutinho for Tormenta in the 57th, uh, Alex Morel in the 58th, a minute later for Tormenta, and Micheletto uh, capped it off in the 74th. Uh, guys, your thoughts on the game? We got we got to hear from Jason on this because he was staying spoiler free last week during the show. And I'm, and I'm glad I did. You know, like, ladies and gentlemen, first and foremost, uh, I wish I had music to play because we are officially in the Connor Antley uh, appreciation hour. What a game. What a start. Your debut, you come in as a defender and you are three assists of the three goals. Um, he, he played his, he played it out of his mind. He, he showed exactly why Tormenta has a scary defense and how no matter what your game plan is against them, they're able to buckle down and eliminate everything in the middle. And it's not like he just had the offensive power, right? Defensively, in the two games he played last week, five tackles, five clearances, six interceptions, and 16 duels won and only lost seven. And that's important because that's Tormenta. That's where they're winning the ball is in those duels, those 50-50 in the middle. And what Tormenta does really well, and you saw this against Tucson, and you saw it this past weekend against Richmond, which we'll talk about, is their offensive guys track back extremely well and go after the ball and win in the defense, right? And they win the ball back. So Tormenta, even if they're not possessing, they do enough to where when you start to get into your groove, they send guys back to disrupt that and throw off everything, which is what I think, you know, had Tucson had problems with. They can never really get into a groove. Tormenta would come and disrupt it and then play the sides really well. And yeah, I think that was probably the best performance in a half that we've seen so far this year of any team. I think Tucson also looked like they were playing a little scared after the first goal. Like they really didn't want to concede, and they uh, and and so it allowed it allowed for a lot more, particularly for the third goal. It allowed for a lot more uh, possession by Tormenta, and they were able to to move the ball around better. And uh, you know, I don't know if it was just hey, we're losing, and you know, we need to get the ball back. But it, it 
they just didn't look as cohesive as they did in the first half. I thought Tucson had a pretty good first half, and and even before um, the second goal by uh, Morel's goal, um, I I, th- I thought that they might uh, you know even had another one earlier in the, in the half. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, it was a good game though by Tormenta for sure. So you know, I was very impressed with how um, how well they moved the ball and how they didn't give up either, especially after the the first goal. Yeah, and I think they did a lot uh, against Tucson. That uh, a lot of the same things they did against Greenville, which is bogging down that midfield, taking the ball away, especially in the second half. You know, I think it it was some combo of Tucson playing a little scared, but also Tormenta just really trying to regain possession there in the midfield. Yeah, they they don't allow anyone in their box. It's absolutely incredible how little time you get once you're in that box. I went back and tried to look to see the longest someone has been in their box, and it was in the Greenville game. Somebody was in there for a good six seconds, and that was it. And if you don't score within six seconds in their in your final third in their box, you're not going to score against them. Simple as that. When they did a better job, it didn't end up uh... – doing too much, but you notice on the heat map between their first game against Greenville and this game against Tucson, they they were able to get into Tucson's box a lot more effectively. I will say on uh, the first two goals that uh, Antley assists on, Tucson did nothing to shut him down. Uh, on the first goal, you can't let a guy go through the box like that uh, and, and not do anything and give him that easy of a pass. And then on the second goal, it looked like uh, – I think I believe it was he got a, a ball from the keeper and Tucson like they were trying to press and he just got out of that press way too easy uh, to uh, kick that that through ball uh, onto what was it for a second oh morale uh, and so Tucson just if they're gonna press if they're gonna pressure they need to turn pressing right. Yeah, but props to Connor too because even on that third goal, right, he was the one who slid and intercepted. Yeah pass defensively and then immediately got back up and looked forward right and all those assists of one thing that you see is him he's pushing it he's like mm-hmm. okay i've got the ball i'm not looking back at my keeper to restart and you know have the defense spread out or have the the offense kind of reorganize no i'm looking up seeing who's going to hit that run i know i've got alex morrell i know i've got Miguelito. i know i got coutinho i know i got guys making that run down the side where are they and he's hitting them um and that was a difference right that's something to where like you said, when Tucson went up a goal, it looked like they kind of parked the bus. So you don't want to give that other team time to really get organized and get their defenders back and get in position. So if you're looking up and get the ball and you immediately push it, that's the result you get. Player of the week, hands down. Easy, easiest decision. All right, any other thoughts on the game, guys? Or we can... I just want to know how does Jason not know the score of the game uh, since he's on social media so much? So what I purposely did is I only went on Twitter in my mentions. So on the app, you know, you can have, you hit home list, whatever. I kept it on mentions. So unless somebody went into my mentions and said, hey, Jason, everything you said was right in Tormenta 131, thankfully nobody did because nobody wanted to give me credit or because there's wonderful people <laughs> out there. Probably the no one wanted to give me credit part. But yes, no one spoiled it for me. And and that's League One Fun, uh, Jason social media um, the most humble of the, of the host <laughs> <laughs> all right our next game uh on friday night the battle of the two teams uh toronto fc2 to orlando city b0 we had uh a 
red card for OCB uh, this time, Emmanuel Hagen in the 46th. And then Toronto got their goals uh, through Luca Petrasso in the 48th and Jordan Peruza in the 86th. Uh, a lot of people have asked who's going to watch this game, and I know uh, I watched this game. Yeah, so I, I did watch it, and you know the, the the fact is OCB came out and they were being very aggressive very early. The first yellow card was in the in the fifth minute, so it, it's not like um, it's not like it was actually a boring game, but it also was not a pretty game at all. Um, you know, you could almost tell it was almost two academy like good academy sides battling it out. Um, you know, th there were there were some things to take away from this though, and one is when when you you know you watch the 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 first half there were some um some really weird things that happened in the 36th minute um uh i don't remember who it was but the there was a free kick and the ocb player started and stopped running like four times like you know they hadn't practiced free kicks um which was really which was really weird i think he was trying to get the the, the back line maybe to um to drop off and maybe leave some gaps uh for the attackers to, to jump into but it, it didn't work at all and looked really really strange um the uh, TFC definitely felt more dangerous in the first half. Um, they had better chances, um, and you know OCB had a few looks, but they just they were more like half chances than um, than the big things. And then after the red card, um, which you know was a red card, um, then it just opened up, and and you know TFC couldn't be stopped after that basically. Um, so I didn't know if Chris or Jason, if you guys yeah, had any, you, you can't make that decision. Um that second yellow in the 47th minute, you got to understand you're on a yellow and you can't, there, there was no point of it, right? You weren't going to win the ball. You knew the tackle was late. Just, just depend on your goalkeeper and defense and, you know, don't make your team for the second week in a row, have to play a man down for a whole half. Um, I thought Orlando again was good on the ball uh, from the time that they did have it. They do have very, um, exciting players, but as far as Ira, what you were saying about set pieces, yeah, there's no way that they've ever practiced a set piece a day in their life. And if you want to look at that Toronto second or that first goal, uh, that's all you need to know because that man was more open than a 7-Eleven. He was just wide open 24-7. Nobody was around. I've never seen anyone make a 20-yard sprint towards the back post and have nobody even look in his direction. Um, so that and that also has to do with being a man down, right? You're you're trying to trying to organize and get people together, uh, but it wasn't working. Um a, a player that did stand out to me for um Toronto do because Toronto not really defensively that great. They only won 64% of their tackles. And Dante Campbell won 36% of his team's total tackles, which is insane to me. I don't know how one player can win more than a third of your tackles, but here we are. But a player that I really like for Toronto was uh, Tariq Muhammad, who did everything, had three clearances, two interceptions, really overlapped well, put in four crosses, and with those crosses created two great chances, and then had the assist. Um, for the corner. So I think that he played a very outstanding game, both defensively and offensively. And hopefully he's someone that can kind of spark that Toronto offense because in the midfield, they were kind of flat and you would expect it like Endo or somebody to had stepped up, but no one really stepped up in that midfield. Yeah, it was So for TFC, there was um, 
uh, Nelson came on and, and he was coming off the, on the right side and he was very dribbly, but he kept on dribbling a lot of times, like right into defenders instead of laying it off or so I don't know if he was, you know, told the Klinsman, like go out there and try stuff and be dribbly. Um, but he's obviously good on the ball, but he missed some obvious chances and he should have scored too as well. Like there was one time when he, uh, he, he actually beat a, a two defenders and Perusa was like, was you know was right there and and you know could have and should have scored um so and you know perusa himself tried the uh, you know just a second or two later had that chip over the keeper um and you know but that was so he kind of redeemed himself by by scoring there um and then nelson also should have scored again in the 88th minute i don't know if you saw that at the very end it was like ocb was just giving up um at the very end and he dribbled around two defenders again and i don't know how he didn't score um right there but you know so i think tfc could be more dangerous than um than we think i mean this was our first look at them i think that they were pretty disciplined um you know the fact that mcb didn't have good chance in the uh, chances in the first half were uh, i think pretty telling before chris says his uh slick comment i do want to say that uh Schaffelberg, if he could control himself better, is going to be a fun player to watch. He's like a bulldozer, and I think he was involved in like 17 duels, just just everywhere on the field. Didn't even win half of them, but that doesn't matter. He was just he went in full, full fledged, uh, full proud, and I'm proud of it for it, right. Going 100, percent going hard. Uh, just next time, try to win some of them and not just run people over. Okay, Chris, ready for your comment. So I think if it's a if it's a Friday night game, I'm hoping in the future all the Friday night games are must watch TV. But if if you have a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, husband, a wife, I hope you took them out for a nice dinner on Friday night because this game was not worth your time. The only thing that Toronto FC is going to be a threat to this year is OCB's hopes of not fil- finishing dead last in the league. This game was terrible. It was the worst thing to watch. And me and the 244 people that were reportedly there at the, at the stadium all regretted it. I, I mean, I think we got to talk about the 244. Like that, to me, for this league, I get it. It's your two, your two, two teams, your two teams that are focused on youth development, maybe even more than winning or, or putting a good product on the field. We all know that teams are going to inflate the numbers for attendance based on ticket sales. It doesn't necessarily mean people that actually show up, but 244. I think that's a bad, honestly, I think that's a bad look for the league. It's, it's really not great. You're talking about Richmond's and Greenville's and Tormenta's, these teams that are packing out the stadiums and 244. I mean, that's been a problem for USL in general. I mean, it's it was has been a big complaint for a lot of the two sides, and and one of the reasons why like Seattle moves right, like the the Red Bulls move their team out of Red Bull Arena into their own um, stadium, so they actually get a, a look. They do get a little bit more attendance, but it it certainly is a big problem with the two sides. And uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a challenge. And and how do you get those? butts and seats to to give you know a real atmosphere for, of a stadium and playing in front of big crowds i mean high school games around here get more uh, more people in attendance yeah and we won't go too much into it that's a whole nother discussion but i do think that a rebranding and literally not calling yourselves b or two just does so much more right it's so much more opportunity even for players who are hoping to try out and get into that system if you hear two or b you don't want to watch. You don't even want to be a part of it because you're like, oh, okay, that's a whole 
Orlando's academy system. You have to, it's not like a team that I can go there. It's not something to really get behind. You're like, Oh, I'm looking, I'm watching the kids or the players not good enough for the first team. And that's, that's just a horrible look. So I think rebranding helps, but also too, what has Orlando done from a marketing perspective? We talked about it all preseason that Orlando hasn't done anything from social media. They're not giving it the players, any personality. So I don't even think they care, which is the problem, right? Like you can have, 300 people at a game but if your organization's okay with that that's the bigger problem yeah so I, I, I get the idea i get the idea of the b teams and the two teams being able to train together but to me that doesn't necessarily mean you have to play your games in the same city like cha- take take orlando 30 minutes an hour down the road rebrand them in a city that desperately would love to have some pro soccer there yeah they can still train during the week and live with the first team and you can send first team guys down there to play if you need to, but put it in a city where people are going to care and want to come out. I mean, to me, that's, that's the most frustrating thing about that match. Well, I think, I think one of the problems is OCB did that because they, they play like half hour, 45 minutes away from where Orlando city plays. They play at the Montverde Academy. And so even if, I mean, that just shows you, even if you move away, like you still got to think they could probably pick a better location uh, in, instead of their, where their academy is because who wants to call yeah, their but it also it's called the academy like you just brand it differently make yeah. it seem like you're not watching a bunch of like students and a bunch of academy kids playing right brand this as like this is the future of professional like these are players who you're going to see in mls orlando has great branding like i'm sure they can have somebody hook it up it's just Calling yourself B, they're not doing any marketing. It's lazy. It's just everything that's going on is lazy. On that happy note, <laughs> uh, going into the, the Saturday slate of games, uh, we have uh, Richmond Kickers uh, zero, South Georgia Tormenta zero. This was Tormenta's third game in eight days. There was uh, a little bit of rotation from what I saw. Any thoughts on this game, guys? I thought Richmond looked better. Um, I thought they possessed the ball very well. Um, you started to really see what they wanted to do. Uh, I thought Charles Boateng was great. He looks like he's that missing piece that the offense needs to produce. Uh, there was times to where he was just off, and I think the timing's going to be right. There was one play where Daniel Jackson was pretty much calling him, like, collect long distance roaming charges any way he could to get the ball on a run and Boateng didn't see it. But I think, um, I think Boateng was great. And even though he didn't create too many chances, he caused torment a lot of problems and he was the most fouled person in the game because of it. They weren't able to really keep up and needed to slow him down. Um, and so that's something to really look for um, as Richmond season goes along. They possess for 58% of the game, which is what I think they wanted to do and i think that's what they're going to try to do and play out that back and uh, i thought eli uh lockaby was was great uh defensively three tackles two clearances two interceptions uh was vital on stopping tormenta's counterattacks. i thought that every time tormenta won the ball and like they do running down the sides eli did a great job at just having a body there or tracking back and interrupting it so 
Uh, I like what I saw from Richmond. They're just their number one thing is they still gotta they gotta finish right. Yeah, like they, they did, were, it looked like they did everything right except for final third stuff. Yeah, they they were really there were two chances in the first half in particular that that should have been goals in the 14th minute and the 32nd minute. Um, and the 32nd minute goal uh, shot in particular, Daniel Jackson should just buried it. It was a um, it was. Um, it was a great look on goal and it just, you know, wasn't on frame. And, um, you know, the, the, the difference in this game in a way was, I think that, that the fact that, um, Richmond only had one shot on goal, they had a lot of shots, they out, outshot Tormenta, um, but they, uh, they only had one shot actually on frame. And I think, you know, that was the problem. So they, yeah, you know, so if you're doing all the right things, you just need, you know, to click that last thing. And we know, you know, Daniel, Daniel Jackson, we know can score, we've seen him score before. Um, but you know, it just needs to be a lot more clinical. So that's it. Also on, on the other side, I'd say for Tormenta, I like their center back, um, Phelps quite a lot. I mean, he was one of the reasons why it was so difficult for, um, for quality chances to come from Richmond, Richmond, we get all the way up to the 18 and then, you know, basically, um, basically either lose the ball or, or be around the, um, be around the back. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, I think th- also go ahead, Chris. I I think the thing for me is I don't I don't know what to make of this matchup because I think yes, Richmond looked better than they did the the in the first game, but at the same time, this was Tormenta's third game in eight days, so I don't know how much of it was Richmond actually was looking better or Tormenta was just tired and worn down and rotating players because Tormenta's looked really, really, really good in their first two games, so. You know, when it's a nil-nil draw and those are the circumstances, it's hard to really take a lot and say and put a lot of weight behind anything from the match. Um, but I, I think all the all the points we've made are are true and good. It's just hard to know how much weight to give them. Yeah, and and I do think that as Tormenta, like you were saying, rotating players and playing their third game in eight days, right? I think they're happy with this draw. They said, like, look, we know we're a great defensive team. And I, I think that's also where we have to give them credit. So Richmond had two great chances in the first half, but they didn't really have too many great chances after that, right? They put a lot of shots in, you know, into anywhere within the vicinity, but they were from outside of the box. They were from corner kicks that were contested. They weren't really great chances, and that's what Tormenta does well, right? They they take out that whole box so that you don't get clean shots at goal. You don't get good chances. And so that's what they did a great job with. But the one thing I will say about Richmond is I really think they stepped up their defense, even Akway, right? He came in, had four interceptions. And that's where I think the Richmond from week one would have probably gave up a goal or two to torment on those counterattacks. So I do think that Richmond's defense got better, but right now they have a lot of questions on that final third because they A, need to get better chances, and they B, need somebody that they know can confidently finish. But if you, if you haven't watched the game, it really, even though it was nil-nil, I think it deserved a goal or two. And, uh, you know, the fact that it wasn't doesn't, you know, this wasn't one of those really boring nil-nil draws that you get. There was a, a lot more to, to unpack within it. No. Anytime Connor Antley's on the field is not boring. That man was everywhere doing it. I'm learning, I'm learning that each and every week now. <laughs> uh, all right, going, moving on. Uh, Chattanooga in their first home game uh in their existence uh the red wolves won Ford mass and zero uh the goal came from iman zaid in the 67th for chattanooga uh jason you were there yeah had a had a great time uh in chattanooga first thing that i saw and did when i got there was hold a snake so that was fun um got some chick-fil-a which is always great 
and then uh finally winning you know watch the game and you know i think that ford for their first game they came out with a plan and they executed it well right they held possession uh there was a couple of late scratches injury wise so they had to rotate uh Jiro, you know pre the preseason debutante came out and played extremely well that first half and chattanooga gave him a lot of space and he was taking it he was like oh, okay cool you're gonna give me 10 yards to run up and strike this that's exactly what i'm gonna do uh jc banks in the midfield i didn't know how i felt about that and then i watched it and was like oh, okay now i feel absolutely wonderful about this he destroyed Chatt chattanooga red wolves obviously look like they want to come out there and say cool we're just going to counter for not getting possession and every counter that they had in that first half jc banks was like cool this is my ball now i'm taking this and stopped everything um Joseel nunez too great job on both sides of the ball he had a great through ball to toye in the first half which toye almost put away um after you know angles had an outstanding save but i think he also did a great job defensively too um he was tireless he kept running back uh, he kept, you know, stopping counterattacks. Same with um, Jeff Machad. He had three or four great interceptions. Um, but the biggest standout for Ford for me was their center back duo. Ormsburg and Tobin just killed it. They had 18 clearances together. Anytime Chattanooga put that ball within 20 yards of the box, they were clearing it. They were running down the strikers. They were not making anything easy uh, for Chattanooga that first half. So that first half was all forward, right? And then it started the same way in the second half, but then you saw Chattanooga started getting a little more possession, started getting comfortable. They started getting more chances, but it didn't really lead to anything. And I thought because it wasn't quick enough. I thought that when Chattanooga found success, it was because they sent in early crosses. It wasn't the crosses where you take the two extra dribbles to get to the side corner and then send it in. It was sending it in from as soon as you get maybe 10 yards past midfield, sending that early, uh, early uh, cross to kind of throw the defense off. But you know, the difference maker was Mari comes in and Mari changed it because what happened was Chattanooga did the exact same thing they did all game but Mari was bringing the ball down at midfield, his back to goal, and he was gathering three or four defenders, pulling in, and that's all he needed to do to then dip the ball off to Beatty or whoever was around him who sent the desire for a one-on-one. -on -one. And you know if you give Zayed a one-on-one -on -one chance, at least three chances he's going to bag one of them, and that's exactly what happened. He had two great chances. He, did, he didn't score the easier one that hit the side netting, but <laughs> had to show off and hit the 20-yarder. Uh, off the bounce, beautiful goal, uh, one of, you know, contender for a goal of the week. Um, and that was a difference, right? I don't think that Chattanooga necessarily changed the way they played at all this game. I thought that they came out, they said, look, we're going to, we're going to do counter. And then Mari was the difference. And then also they played um, hungry like the wolf uh, when they scored the goal and before and after the game, which I was a fan of. I thought that was a good, good little, good little pinch, good little uh, taste at the end. They they announced four thousand fans. I I think f for me what on at least on the Red Wolf side, um, it was their their center defensive midfielder. Um, I, I'm gonna butcher his name, but is it a uh, Alfie? Um, is that how you pronounce his last name? Uh, he was, yeah, he was he was incredible. Um, again on both sides of the ball. I mean, he was the the pivot. Um, he was very dangerous breaking up plays when uh, because forward did have a lot of possession and he was able to make sure that that they didn't 
uh, weren't able to come down the middle very much. Also, in, in the first half, you know, there were Red Wolves had a few good chances in the first half, but like Jason said, the, their their back line was very disciplined for forward, and you you know every it was like waves breaking sometimes right at the eighteen, right? That was like the um, you know the Red Wolves could get to the eighteen but couldn't get beyond that. Um, but but what was different, I think, defensively this time compared to the North Texas game is Chattanooga seemed to cover much better. So whereas you know you always had two players um, you know ready to cover for one another, whereas uh, in the North Texas game on t- at least two two of the goals you basically didn't have um, the rotation of people covering. Um, so so I think the Red Wolves you know the reason why they won this game was not so much on the offensive side generating generating the offense because they scored on their only shot on goal, um, but they uh, but they really did you know back up the defense a little bit. And I, I talked to um, Coach Hankinson on Monday, and, and he even said that too. He's like, look, we, we, you know, we have a game plan, but it's individual execution has to be better. And that's really what happened was they had much better individual execution, I think, on the day than they had, um, than they had the week before at North Texas. Um, and shout for uh, BGN written, by the way, uh, BGNFN. Um, .fn for uh, for actually a deep dive that I do in the Red Wolves tactics uh, after my interview with uh, with the coach. And that's dropping tomorrow, right, Ira? Uh, it'll be out on Thursday, right? Yeah, plug, plug, plug. And uh, I also do think that what Chattanooga did differently this week than they did the first week was their recovery was a lot better. Um, so there's a there's one great example to where Paulo Jr. gets a great through ball. And he looks like he's one-on-one with the keeper. And then I think it's Andrew Malin comes back and has a great uh, tackle and blocks the shot. And I don't think you saw any of that against North Texas, right? It was like as soon as a North Texas player got by them, that was it. Um, So I think maybe hopefully that North Texas game, you know, lit a fire under them defensively and it showed. Um, And I think that they had, like Iris said, I think defense for them won this game, not necessarily uh, the offense. All right. Any, uh, Chris, you got any thoughts on the game? Listen, this game was at the same time as the Greenville game. I was out there. I <laughs> tried to watch a little bit of it this week, but just, you know, timing wise, I've, I've only seen the highlights. I will say though, that, you know, this is forward Madison. This is your first game, uh, of the season. You're the Red Wolves is your first home game. There's, you know, we, we've talked to death about the, the situation in Chattanooga. There's a match across town that, uh, Somebody on this panel might have gone to a tailgate a little bit to maybe just mingle with the mingle with the people. Um, so I think you had to you had to be impressive and, and had to had to there was pressure on both teams. So I think good to Chattanooga for winning. Good to having a good crowd of not four thousand people. Thank you very much. Thirty five hundred. Not letting you rain on my Greenville parade. Biggest <laughs> biggest crowd in USL League One this week. So Ira, you can't steal my joy. And shout out to uh, the flock, Labara, all the the Ford Madison supporters who made that trip. Uh, you got to be insane to love your team that much to drive 12, 14 hours and 30 of them showed up, tailgated with them. Great group. Uh, weren't allowed to bring their drum in. And so they made best and used a trash can and banged on it like Doug Funny. Uh, and yeah, it was it was an absolute amazing atmosphere 
from both the away and the home team. I had fun, right? Like we can get into the politics of everything, but at the end of the day, it's all about fans coming out and having a fun experience, right? I don't, I don't care about the politics of the game. I come out, I want to support local soccer and I come out to look at the atmosphere and I'm like, cool. Is this something that I would want to go to? And yes, like tailgate was fun. The game was fun. Chattanooga was just overall fun. Gained about three pounds eating things. I know business eating shout out the champs chicken, uh, or champies chicken, but yeah, I, uh, I think it was fun and, and don't, don't come in my mentions anymore about attendance counting. Please put, put that much effort in supporting your team as you do and sitting there single-handedly counting people that, that is so annoying. I'm trying so hard not to go on a rant, but it's just, please people. Like if you can't support your team with that much energy, then don't, don't even bother. It's you look whack. You look stupid. Couldn't agree more. Uh, the last game, last game of the weekend, and probably I don't know about you guys, the most exciting game of the weekend, uh, from a neutral standpoint. But Greenville triumph two, Lansing ignite one. We had a goal from Ricky Lopez Espin in the twenty seventh minute uh, for Lansing. And Jake Keegan in the second half in the 53rd minute uh, equalized, but then you just red card score. You had a red card in the 58th from Ricardo Perez of Lansing, another red card in the 62nd from Robinson Mashabani of Lansing, and then Cole Seller just decided to get in on it in the 77th uh, to make the game 10 versus 9 before uh, Kevin Pulitz, by way of Grant Stoneman in the 85th, won it for Greenbelt. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what happened? Here we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I think, you know, in the atmosphere, and it was, it was, man, it was an incredible atmosphere. I know Stephen Short was there and Jake Edwards were there. Shout out to two USL big wigs. Um, but it, it really was incredible. It even blew my expectations out of the water in terms of the crowd and the energy in the stadium. And I think some of that trickled down to the officiating. I think from watching the game live, it felt like, man, this official has let things get out of control. But when I went back and watched it, it doesn't feel none of the fouls, none of the cards given felt unfair or unwarranted. But um, one of the things I think I noticed at the game and even back on the rewatch was there were several times where, it felt like she kind of wasn't going to give a card and then maybe stepped away and kind of waited to see how the crowd and the, and the players reacted. And um, particularly for Lansing, I felt like they they had a lot of Neymars on their team. A lot of guys who were just way over embellishing fouls. And, and uh, I think that played to their advantage a little bit. I even think the red card on Cole Seiler she she seemed to was going to let it go and he just kept talking and talking and talking and then she pulled him aside and gave him a second yellow so i think some of it felt like just just the game getting out of control a little bit um she was trying to do her best to keep it keep it under control but um nothing felt unwarranted but yeah it was a it was a great atmosphere uh, a big win for greenville i know the the Moshe Bonnie red card was the one that was really crazy because I was sitting at midfield kind of right behind the the two benches and Nate Miller was incensed about it. He felt like he did not realize Moshe Bonnie had gotten the first red card for dissent on the red card 
previous. So he kept yelling at Moshe Bonnie to go back on the field. He was like, you do not have two yellows. You do not have two yellows. Um, so I think, you know, again, I think communication, I think trying to keep the game under wraps, it, 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 it probably was a little excessive with the cards. Just I, I, like I said, I don't think any of the cards were undeserved, but I think it, it probably just got more raucous than it needed to be. Should I should I go and play devil's advocate just to make you just 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 the just the, some good old fashioned ribbing? Um, I think there should have been more cards. To be honest with you, I don't. I'm not going to put it on the ref. I think that the players, and that was my key point in my breakdown this week of the recap. Mentally, players this week just confused me. When you look at some of the, the the plays they made, knowing that they're sitting on a yellow, when like knowing that the ball is at someone's head, and like ah, I'm gonna go for it anyway at my foot. Like I didn't understand what they were doing, and I do I do agree with Chris. I do think the game got out of hand, and the game got out of hand in the first five minutes when Klaus had two really bad fouls and didn't get did. any kind of a yellow card for them, and that was the difference. You saw Lansing start playing more physical after that. And I think the Moshabani one hurt them the most because in the first half, he was so dangerous in space. And that's the thing that you saw against Richmond, too. You can't give him any space because he knows exactly how to cut in and he knows how to corner it. And when you look at that uh, goal that Lansing scored in the first half, Lansing, every goal they've scored pretty much outside of their set piece has been in three or four passes. Nothing more than four passes. They get the ball. They bring in the press. They send it long to the winger. The winger then either cuts it into the middle and it's a give and go, or it's a back pass. But with this one, Steve St. Duke on the other side of Moshebani, they're both wide on the field, does a great job. He's got Tyler Pollock and he he hits the middle, just sprints towards the middle as opposed to staying wide. And what that does is it brings Tyler Pollock in, and now Espin starts sneaking back post, and Pollock has to make a decision, okay, am I following the the guy that's going back post, or do I need to follow the fastest guy on the field right now? He obviously leans towards the fastest guy on the field, and then they see Espin wide open, and he gets the goal. So props to Steve St. Duke for making that decision. But, yeah, that – Th- those are the kind of goals that Lansing needs, and you can't do that when there's nine players on the field. And I think that they were just all dumb fouls. And that game could have been 10 to 1 if it wasn't for Lansing goalkeeper. Kurt played yeah. out of his mind, had the save of the week, was absolutely amazing. Koifik had, again, a great game, saved the clearance, saved one off the line, I think, in the 45th minute, right before the second half, which was big for them. Um, and yeah, I think that Moshabani's red card was a difference maker. And also, and Chris, I don't know if you want to talk on, about this, but having Bermudez start on the left side was the most confusing thing to me. So and I did not get it. And as soon as this man went to the right side in the second half, magic happened. Magic yeah. happened. He did what he needed to do. There was a great chance that he put in the crosses in the 52nd minute. And that was the kind of chances you didn't see in the first half for Greenville. Um, and so he, I think that was a difference maker. And then also the one thing I will say, even though I think the ref, I agreed with all of her cards, the one thing I I didn't, I I understand is legal. That was the quickest retake that I've seen. But if she doesn't, if she doesn't call for you to to stop, you know, the game and give her time to write down or reposition, you could take it. So I don't have any beef with it, right? It's a legal goal, but it's just like, wow, that was super quick. And also that was a great finish from Keegan. 
Keegan had a great finish. It was, it was a great finish, but the restart, the restart there was, was great. You know, those quick restarts, um, I, I think they, they make the game flow, but it's also, you know, they only work when you know that you have the, uh, the, the fence on the, uh, on the back. And yeah, you know, it's funny, Jason, you, you literally hit on almost all my points. Um, I do want to highlight, though, um, is it Moshe Bane? His one-on-one ability was phenomenal. So I agree that, like, when he was taken out, Lansing's uh, attack certainly broke down quite a lot. But um, you know, Greenville, I think, you know, even even without the two the two cards, I still think Greenville probably deserved to win this game. They had uh, far more possession. You know, granted, they, they even before the the second red card, they had outshot uh, Lansing. Um, two to one. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think it was probably the right result regardless of how, you know, messy it got with all the cards and everything. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, the fact, the fact that they scored Kevin Pollitt's, um with, with the winning goal instead of an own goal, you know, home field advantage, maybe, you know, that's the, you know, who's keeping, keeping score that night matters too. So I'll say this because uh this is where I agree with you, Jason, on the should have been red cards. I think and we actually see that the league has retroactively given a red card for Edmundo Robinson in the seventh minute where he literally like kicked a guy in the chest. Yeah, it looked it was, really it was bad. The, it was the Sparta 300 kick. It right. was imme- like straight it kicked really, him in the chest. It really, really was. And I'll tell you, it really worries me that now a team that only has, has only been fielding six subs per game is now going to be down two more people this week. So we're going to have Greenville's only going to have four subs available for the match against Chattanooga this Saturday. Um, I will tell you this. I know Bermuda starting on the, on the left perplexed me, but what I did like was the shift from the three, five, two to the four, three, three with Keegan up top. That is something that I have been harping on since the preseason with Keegan's finishing ability. I think you saw way more chances, good chances at goal with that setup. I don't, I asked, Coach Harks about it after the game, if that was something Lansing specific or something he noticed after the first game, he said it was a little bit of both. Um, you saw Cameron Saul start on the bench this week. Edmundo came in as a starter, and I think that's why they pushed Bermudez over to the left. But again, once they flipped them, it, it opened it wide, wide open from that point. So the other thing I wanted to say about the, the experience in Greenville, I know a lot of folks had complained about the camera work on the, on the broadcast, which I noticed – I obviously didn't notice when I was there at the game, but noticed on the rewatch, but even live in person, they Stephen short made a big deal about Greenville being the first team in the league with led boards, but they put led boards under on the camera side of the field. So you don't see them on TV, but the majority of the stands are looking at them. And once it got dark, if, if the board lit up white or a light color, a blue or something like that, you, the the shadow the ball and the players just completely disappeared and it was almost near impossible to see them. I th- that's probably because of the angle you were at because you were probably pretty low compared to like you know larger stadium that that uh, you know where you tend to sit a little Chris bit higher. Is in the boxes with the owners. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. he was watching front, from that uh, listen, sweet green car they got down I w- there. I'm on I'm on the front row, right in shouting distance of the uh, of the away coach. So you know, right. got to get my shots in. 
I, I'd like to to comment a little bit about the production too, because unlike you know the the, well, the camera work wasn't great. There was there was weird. Um, the there were two cameras that had different color. Um, they, they weren't color balanced correctly. Uh, but the one thing I did like about this game was that there was a color commentator. On in most of the other games, it was only a single commentator uh, doing the doing the call. In in this match, there was was a color person who um, you know was able to give a little bit more information about what was going on in the match. And I, I did like that. I do like the the two man the two man system as opposed to a single person making the call. So hopefully that's something that uh, shows up in more games uh, throughout uh, the season. I also love that the broadcast team totally shouted me out with the with the podcast breakdown of Chris Bermudez's play in the uh, in the first week. I was pretty hyped when I turned on the broadcast. And they were saying yeah, we're- he was really getting a lot of hype in the podcast scene. I said thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that ten dollars that you slipped and paid off, Chris. I, I, obviously, the twenty was would have been the one to get you the name, but you know, we got we got a budget. He's got to build on that each week. Yeah. Each week. But uh, before we go on to uh, the upcoming games, I do want to say unfortunate event that happened at that game. Um, you know, with a uh, homophobic slur or uh, just a slur, any any kind of a word that should never uh, be used. But I do give props to the league to Lansing, to their supporters group for quickly investigating it and having action. Uh, By Monday, the team had issued a response. Uh, The supporter group issued a statement, and even Espen himself said he accepted his ban, uh, took fault for it, and said that he was going to learn from it and build it. And now the supporters group is also uh, doing a... Uh, I think it's for the next two or for the next game and the game against Michigan State to where if they score a goal, they're going to donate money uh, for each goal scored. So props to the league, props to Lansing for really taking an unfortunate situation, but not, you know, prolonging it, not ignoring it quickly, promptly getting to the roots of it, investigating it and dealing with it appropriately. That's something that I'm glad to see with, with this league. And I think the biggest part of that is that Ricky himself, like, immediately just said yep i did it it was i shouldn't have and i've learned from it and so i think really uh, props to him i mean obviously you don't want him to have to make that mistake but the fact that he didn't like try to push back and say no i didn't do it i didn't say it you know that that's really great on him to have at least come forward and said yeah you know i'm gonna take it and and take my lumps and and take my punishment as i need to and even the supporters group too they were the first ones to say something which i which i loved because you see a lot of supporters group they go so hard for their team. They're not willing to accept mistakes that might've been made or they want to prolong it. They were saying immediately right after, nope, like we're investigating it too. We understand what's going on. We understand it's wrong. And, you know, I got to give a props to assembly line for that because it was great to see that this is a league driven by the community. So the fact that the community is the first one to push this, acknowledge it, uh, that really meant a lot. And there should be a lesson to everyone, right? Like this is, this is, you know, I think from like you've both said from the league to the supporters, to the teams, this is the way to handle a situation like this. I mean, it's an unfortunate situation that shouldn't happen in the first place, but if it does, you know, this is it, you, you do it this way. And, you know, every other, you know, props to USL and, and the teams and, and the supporters groups for the way that this has been handled. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so looking forward to this upcoming week, uh, we have a full slate of games uh, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, starting us off, we have, we have Chattanooga at Greenville. And actually, in week three of the season, we have our first rematch. Uh, this time, Richmond is traveling to Lansing for their home opener. We have four 
Madison, uh, going down to North Texas. You have Tron 2 uh, going down to SC Tucson for their home opener, which I'm going to be traveling down for and I'm excited for. And then you have Tormenta SC uh, playing OCB. I know, guys, we had picked uh, a couple of those games to talk about, to uh, predict. So, Chris, to you first. Uh, the first game we, we decided to talk about is Chattanooga and Greenville. Yeah, I've got that as a draw. Um, I think, you know, Greenville has looked good at home. They're, they're defensively, they play so strong defensively. And I know that's, it's going to be a weird match to watch. Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a nil nil draw just because of the way Chattanooga plays too, kind of sitting back and waiting for the counter. Um, now Greenville this week pressed really high and they are very susceptible to counters. Both goals they've given up this season have been on counter. So I wouldn't be surprised for Chattanooga to actually walk away with the win, but I do think, Greenville has the firepower to to score. I am concerned about only having uh, basically 16 available players for the match. Um, you know, obviously that's more than you need, but that's and and Cole Siler is going to be a huge huge loss for them on the back line. Like that to me is the biggest thing. You know, Edmundo Robinson didn't start in the first game, so I don't think that's as big of a loss. But Cole Siler is going to be a critical missing piece for Greenville on Saturday. And I actually think you're going to see the opposite. I actually think Greenville might be a little hesitant because of that loss. Not having Cole and, you know, bringing in someone new for the back line, they're going to go, okay, they need more support than what we normally. So I wouldn't expect them to do that press that they did against Lansing. I actually think Chattanooga might have more possession, uh, which is why I think that this game probably will be a draw. And I'm saying that because I do think this is going to be the Cameron Saw game. I do think now because that Greenville is going to be more on the defensive side and won't be pressing so high, this is the perfect opportunity for him to intercept some balls in the middle and really start those counterattacks. And I think that this is probably going to be a 1-1 game. And I do think that the goal that Greenville is going to score will be on a counterattack. I think it's going to be a, a one nil affair to uh, to Chattanooga, primarily because of all the changes that that um, that Greenville is going to have to make. And and you know there's the there is a chemistry factor. Um, you know Chattanooga, you know will have the the full week. Everything I think started to click for them last week. So I don't think that you know I think it's unlikely that it's a multiple goal game, but um, you know, it would not surprise me at all if it was nil if it was nil nil or one one but uh, but i do do give the edge to chattanooga i think if they can k- keep their back line as solid as it was uh last week then you know it'll be hard for for greenville to uh to break them down and i actually have the opposite result of you ira i i think greenville uh you know one zero two one uh when we'll take it i was really impressed with keegan uh this past weekend and despite that short bench i think i think they can grind out a result at home and then the next game we want to talk about is uh, Ford Madison traveling down North Texas. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? So yeah, this is this is the the probably the most intriguing one, right? You had the 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 kids come out the first week and put the spanking on a veteran team. You got a sixteen year old scoring hat tricks, but I do think the difference is Ford is a more possession team. So what is North Texas going to do? when the team is not giving them the ball or is handling the press better. Right. And I think that's where Ford has the uh, advantage of kind of exploiting 
that backfield when they're pressing so high. And I think that's where you're going to see Paulo Jr. and Toye really run havoc on them, right? You have experienced guys. Toye's an MLS guy. Paulo Jr. has been doing it for over a decade. They know where they need to be. They know where defenses are susceptible. I think that that's going to be the key. And I think that because Ford is such a possession team, they're going to tire out the kids. They're going to have them running all over. And I could see Ford winning that 1-0, maybe even 2-0. I'm going to take the opposite, and I think it's going to be 4-4 with Paolo Jr. and Pepe both getting hat-tricks. Wow. Yo. <laughs> Doubling down on the MVP pick, huh? My I like goodness. it. goodness. <laughs> now I'm getting going uh, at that pace. Yeah. <laughs> I have North Texas winning as well. Not uh, not as well, but not uh, not goals. I think even though they may have to sit back a little, I think you still got to be – worried about their ability to counterattack. Um, and even even if Pepe is off a step uh, from his time with the U-17s, I think, I think he does score another goal. And so I think uh, 2-0 North Texas with Pepe with a goal, the game winner at least. Kristen? Yeah, I, you know, I have said uh, even since the preseason that forward Madison, I was worried about a team called forward without any offensive firepower. They have since resolved some of that with some loanies um, from Minnesota United, but I, I'm still in wait and see mode with them. And so I, I really think uh, I think North Texas has proven that they've got the offensive firepower. Um, you know, I think I think Madison is going to get them clogged up there in the middle, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a one nil, two nil victory for North Texas here. All right. And we'll be keeping track of our uh, picks throughout the year. We'll probably pick a couple games from each. Just to make, uh, just to, just to make fun of Ira at the end of the season. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. Sure. And, uh, and, exactly. and what we'll do for the, uh, for the listeners on Fridays, we'll put up a poll and we can have you guys vote. Um, for who do you think will win or if they're going to draw. And at the end of the year, you know, whoever wins, uh, maybe for our championship podcast, uh, we have to, uh, you know, get the loser to wear something that they probably wouldn't wear. It'd be a real shame if uh, Chris had to wear some kind of Tormenta jersey, uh, you know, while watching Greenville. It'd be real shame. That would be unfortunate. Uh, and then – Guys, just uh, as we wind down, uh, we have a couple fan questions. Uh, Steven Hernandez uh, sent this one. And who will end the season with more red cards, Orlando or Lansing? Is is Gucci Way you paying the fines for the Orlando kids? Because they're I'm sure I'm sure that that part time job money is not going to be enough for them to uh, pay for those those fines. But yeah, that's my answer. There's no way that anyone's getting more cards in Orlando. Not with Gooch at the not with Gooch at the helm. <laughs> Red Cardos FC, and then uh, there you not- go. That's that's the rebrand. We've already re- <laughs> fixed it. <laughs> we drop the logo real quick. Uh, another question: Who didn't make the team of the week that should have? Jason, I know you were had a pretty strong opinion about this one. Yeah, it's Kirk and one hundred percent. I'm yeah, with you on that. I don't. I know it's tough for the league to put a goalkeeper of the team who did not win on team of the week. I don't care. He had twice as many saves as the goalkeeper they did pick. He had the save of the week to where he had a similar save to horror from week one, but this time watched his eyes and he knew a hundred percent what he was doing with that kick save was the reason why Lansing even stayed in the game up until yeah. the last 10 minutes. 
hands down should be on team of the week. I'll find anybody who tells me differently. That, that game ready. would have been five or six to one if, if it wasn't yeah. for Kirk, uh, which is incredible with his, he, he's so undersized as a goalkeeper. Like even when you, I was, I was standing behind the Lansing goal for the entire first half. That dude is tiny. He is not that big as a goalkeeper and it's incredible what he was able to do. He's controlling, very, yeah, very controlling the air, right? Like every cross that Greenville sent in, in the first half, he was like, yeah, this is easily me. Just dominated. I'm going to take. I'm going to take one other. I, I agree that that Kirk, you know, should should be a, a probably on there too. But also, um, and, and I mentioned him when we were talking about the game. Um, but um, Ualfi from uh, uh, from Chattanooga, just his defensive work, I think, was underappreciated in that game. And and I think he's, you know, one of the big reasons why uh, why forward wasn't able to get more chances on goal and and really good looks on goal. Who just the, that midfield destroyer that um, he didn't quite play. Um, in North Texas, I think because he didn't have the cover, um, but he he had an outstanding game, and I think uh, probably I was a little bit surprised when his name wasn't on the uh, the best eleven. Defensive midfields always get overlooked for those team of the weeks. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, our last question from Weston, and we touched on this earlier, but uh, based on the Greenville Lansing game and the uh, telecast, uh, what'd you guys think of it? How bad was it in retrospective? Uh, and is there a way it can get better? Well, we've already we've already kind of talked a little bit about the quality being poor. I, I can tell you, with my interview I did with Stephen Short, he he told me that basically the ESPN Plus deal, they have a centralized production company out of Florida that does all of the production for the entire league for USL Championship. So I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, Greenville's people did bad or anything like that. It is the production company, and obviously whoever they sent this time wasn't as good, but they may send those people up to Madison in a week and you might see the same thing with that. So I think it's really just going to be as that production company continues to ramp up, you know, Hey, what I would say is let them know, like let them know when things aren't as acceptable and I'm sure they will work to try and correct it and, and do the best they can. Yeah, hopefully they have some quality control. I mean, one of the challenges I think is that's going to happen with a lot of these um, with with a lot of these matches is you you can't get exactly the great camera angles if even if you have two or three cameras around just because the um, the placement of the cameras might not be um, might not be appropriate to be able to see the whole pitch. I mean, a football pitch is is large, right? So um, you really need to be able to get that wide angle shot. Um, I, even when I was trying to watch some of the games, I wish I could have seen more of the uh, of the field because you just you know you can't see both touch lines at the same time and that that's that's a function a little bit more of the fact that where the stands are and where the camera is versus the field and 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 I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that until you get more soccer specific stadiums built and uh, and and which should clear that up because you'll have better camera angles I, I can tell you specifically in Greenville, because I knew I watched, I think when I was watching the Tormenta Greenville game, it felt like the, the camera angle was really low. So I don't know what their, I, I, Jason, I know you were there. I don't know what their press box looked like in terms of where it was in height. Greenville's is very tall, but that side of the field, they've put basically four, like two or three rows of like high end seats. And then the press box is right there. And the seats, there's the there is the sideline. There's the LED boards. There's the seats, and then the press box is right behind those two rows of seats. And I know even even uh, Paul Klaus trying to take some throw-ins on that side. There is no room for him to do that running long throw he likes to do. He was very vocal about being frustrated by that. It, it's interesting to me that the team put the LED boards as close to the 
to the sideline as they did. But I think that's part of the problem in Greenville is that the camera is literally probably no more than about 15 feet from the sideline. And and this is the first year. So it was first time ESPN plus and these camera angles are getting used to these stadiums. Um, and so I'm curious to see by week six where we're at. And if it hasn't improved by week six, then obviously it's a problem. I would not be surprised if those led lights get moved over to the other side. Cause I don't see why people would pay for those led lights if they're not going to get advertised on television. So we'll see, but yeah, right now, New league, these are the kind of things that you have to overcome. Um, I'm not going to panic yet, but like like Chris said, you know, reach out if you feel like it's unacceptable. You are paying for this. This is your team. This is something you're passionate about. You know, showcase that. And the league obviously will respect that and try to make the appropriate changes. All right, and that will do it for us this week. Uh, I want to thank Beautiful Game Network for, for hosting us. Uh, be sure to check out bgn.fm for just about every podcast for every uh, USL team, as well as uh, BGNnews.com. I know a couple of these guys write uh, recaps and analysis uh, for the written side. And I also want to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarf, uh, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US soccer. Uh, go Roughneck Scarves uh, to get those scarves from those leagues, as well as uh, custom scarves for your team or group. Before we sign off, guys, uh, where can the people find you? Let's go Ira first. At Ira Jersey on Twitter. Jason. At Home Sweet Soccer. And Chris. Uh, go read my stuff over at gvlsoccer.com, and you can follow my podcast and writing account over at YTSS Podcast. And I will say, uh, Chris had a show with Stephen Short. He's mentioned a couple of times, the VP of League One. Make sure to check that out. It's got a great conversation uh, with the VP about the league in the future. And Lots of expansion talk and pro rel yeah. and USL Cup. Good stuff in there. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh, all right, guys. Until next week, uh, we'll see you later. Until next week. That was smooth. Don't you dare. Lose that U.S. Open Cup game, Chattanooga. Don't you dare.